Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Some of us keep to-do lists. While cleaning the gutters doesn't sound appealing, traveling to a special desired place in the world looks like a good time. More often than not, we put things we really want to do at the bottom of those lists because life, right? We prioritize the things we have to do to stay afloat, to pay the bills and provide for our families. Maybe later we can do what we want to do. But life really doesn't work that way. I think the pandemic has shown us that much. Time is precious. Later this hour, we'll talk with a few people who have been living life to the fullest and going through their bucket lists, one item at a time. But first, it's time for At Us. Yes, every Thursday, we're taking time to read the comments so you don't have to. I'm literally encouraging you to at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville, on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN, and at WPLN News on Facebook. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. Glad to see you back in studio and also glad to be back in studio. Thank you so much. It's glad to be back. <laughs> so anyways, do you remember last, last Friday's show about meat? Oh, yes, obviously I do. Well, so does our loyal listener, Anthony DeGeorge, who goes by Salute Slut on Twitter. Okay, uh, that is a great Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so Anthony tweeted us a few times during the episode with some pushback. He's a vegan and took issue with some of the framing of the episode. So our executive producer, Andrea Tedhope, called him up yesterday to make sure we understood his concerns. His biggest issue was not with the guests themselves, but how we handled our guests who farm and raise uh, cattle to slaughter. Hmm. I understood Beef Farmer is going to promote his product and his work. Um, I was just really disappointed to hear him talking about climate change. Beef farmers have a financial incentive to like keep people eating beef. And of course, they're going to take an anti-science view when it comes to climate change. The idea that there's any like form of beef consumption that is not uh, hurting the planet is just absurd. I mean, it's 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 like clean burning coal. You know, it's not a, it's not a thing that exists. I mean, it's a really good point. Like we couldn't have had the conversation about meat without talking about climate change and climate science. But as Anthony points out, we really didn't have an impartial guest to tackle that. I, I would think that in the future, you maybe want to, you know, avoid having people who are not experts talk about science or at the very least have, you know, someone else there to like either give contradictory evidence or at least, you know, give the other side of, of the opinion if, if, if it's a matter of opinion. Yeah, well, we totally agree with you, Anthony. Being fair and balanced with our guest lineup is very important to us. Mm -hmm. um, we'll make sure for future episodes we at least be prepared uh, to script a counterpoint. Plus, we'll definitely have more conversations dedicated to climate change and climate science. We've already had a few. I'm thinking about our Earth Day episode on green space in Nashville. For sure. 
Also, we've been cooking up a few episode mm-hmm. ideas that we think uh, will be a lot more appealing to our vegan and vegetarian listeners. So just a spoiler alert. One of them is about a cow sanctuary in West Tennessee. So stay tuned for that. And also, we have to give a shout out to our pescatarian producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley, for being up to the challenge of putting together a meat episode. Yes, as you said, you know, she really cooked up something really special and tasty <laughs> for us. So... You know, I was out a few days this week. Catch me up on what happened. Well, we definitely missed you here in the studio. And on Tuesday's show, we discussed hate speech, and we had three PhDs as our guests. Okay, that is impressive. It really was. But one of our listeners was not impressed with how we promoted the episode. Mm, I wonder what their beef was. So you know how we tweet a photo of our guest every day before the show? Mm Because, you know, I really want our listeners to know who our our guests are. Well, listener Jeremiah replied on Twitter to say, um, why does your graphic give the doctor title to to the two men, but not to the woman who is also a PhD? Wait, so the graphic only says doctors for the dudes? That's right. Now, it really was an honest oversight. Both Saleh Sabetny and uh, Cesare Warren refer to themselves as doctors on their websites. Our other guest lists herself as Sophie Bjork James, PhD. Now, not everyone with a PhD necessarily wants to be called a doctor, though. And to be clear, we asked her how she wanted to be addressed during the show, and we honored her request by just calling her by her name. Um, Even so, we 100% did not mean to diminish her accomplishments in any way. So so we wanted to take a chance to let everybody know that Dr. Sophie Bjork, Bjork James holds a PhD in anthropology from City University of New York, as well as a master's in education from the University of Toronto. Her work has also been featured on NBC Nightly News and NPR's All Things Considered, as well as in articles by Reuters, The New York Times, and Vox. Among others. That's right. And in addition to all of this, she has also co-edited the book Beyond Populism, Angry Politics, and the Twilight of Neoliberalism, and she is also the author of the book uh, Divine Institution, White Evangelicalism's Politics of the Family. Yeah, so I know I already said impressive, but now I really mean it. Um, also, speaking of Dr. Sophie Bjork-James, she tweeted about the show after, saying that it was a great conversation. But there was one thing she didn't get to touch on during the show. Uh, she said, quote, the best defense against white nationalism is a robust democracy. She also went on to say that white nationalists try to isolate specific groups um, as separate, having multiple racial, multi-religious coalitions rallied around affected communities is crucial to both support hate crime victims and to to demonstrate that the community is united. Preach, Dr. Bjork James, preach. Is there anything else, Anna? Yes, so I have another spoiler alert. Okay. Um, for next week, our producer, Rose Gilbert, is putting together a Citizen Nashville episode about childcare. And so we'd really like to hear from parents, grandparents, and guardians about their experiences looking for childcare in and around Nashville. Um, so right now, we have a forum on our website, this is Nashville.org, where parents can share their stories. And, you know, if there's any childcare providers out there who'd like to share their experience, we will happily listen to it as well. Awesome. Thanks to our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon, for this roundup. Anna, we will see you next week. Same time, same place. Of course. And our listeners know where to find me. Don't forget to add us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey online to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It is super easy and quick and helps us produce shows with your needs and interests in mind.
we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're talking bucket lists, baby. Do you have a bucket list? Have you accomplished something wild? Tell us your stories at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Okay, so it's honestly hard to believe we weren't really kicking around the term bucket list before 2007, but I guess that's pretty much true. Yeah, that was the year that The Bucket List came out in theaters, starring Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. They played a couple of elderly, terminally ill cancer patients who got a new lease on life, made a list of all the things they wanted to do before they died, and really lived it up in their final months. They went skydiving, flew over the North Pole, raced around the California Speedway, rode motorcycles on the Great Wall of China, and went on a lion safari in Tanzania to name a few. The film really popularized the idea of a bucket list, inspiring folks around the world to draft bucket lists of their own. Over the past week, we've been asking you all, what's on your bucket list? Here's what we heard. On my bucket list is travel with purpose. And by that, I mean traveling to places where I can make an impact as a muralist. One of the things I've knocked off my bucket list is affordable housing. Um, wanted that for so long, and I finally got that. My son and I, who is 11, we are big Buffalo Bills fans, so we have decided that we are going to try and catch a Bills game in every NFL stadium in the U.S. My ultimate bucket list would be to sleep under the northern lights in glass igloos in Iceland. I would love to travel and explore places related to my heritage other kinds of consumption, right? Buying things and having things and sort of climbing um, a success path in life um, aren't as fulfilling for me. So I guess mine would be releasing an album, writing a television show, writing a movie, and becoming a father. So I can completely get down with some of those. Now, we're inviting a few folks who've come to bucket lists in their lives for different reasons. My first guest is Gwen Moore. She's a writer and an artist who has used her bucket list over the years to keep her mind open to where life may take her. Gwen, welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, Khalil. So tell me, when did you start thinking about bucket lists? Well, I think it must have been shortly after that movie, our book club said, have you got a bucket list? And none of us had done that. So we all did it. And somehow it struck me as very important. And so I've saved it and referred back to it. Well, tell me, what was your life like before that? <laughs> well, that's a funny thing. I had had some pretty interesting experiences I was a songwriter for a while in Nashville and didn't ever imagine doing that or being a background singer, but that's what I did for a while. And then I wrote um, a couple of books. They haven't been published, but I got them out of me, which was big. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought it's time to dream again. I really need to dream. So what type of dreams did you have? Ha <laughs> ha. 
Well, I am a big traveler. My parents gave me that legacy. So on my bucket list, I've got live in Paris more than a month Hmm. and spend a week on an island. I didn't say where, doesn't matter. And return to Israel. I lived there in 1986 and 87, and I want to live in the artist colony across from the old city in Jerusalem. Now, you know, we've been in this pandemic and it's changed a lot of people in their outlook and life. I wonder, how did the pandemic influence you on your journey? Well, interestingly, I found out that I am more comfortable being alone than I dreamed I would be. Hmm because I've always worked in offices my whole adult life. And I thought I would be very lonely, but I wasn't. It it turns out I had enough internal life going on that staying in touch with friends through Zoom was really satisfying and I did okay. That's awesome. My My next guest is a veteran who came at his bucket list just a little differently. Joe Murray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, Joe, you're 80 years young, correct? Yes. So what drew you to create or fulfill your bucket list? Well, it just started out as a track, a journey through life. Uh, I am a person that um, loves to travel, do new things. I've always anticipated and um, things that I always wanted to do and I was able to do. Uh, my journey started after high school, went into the United States Air Force. Um, First station was in Germany for three years, returned home, started a family, uh, stayed here in uh, Nashville for uh, about 10 years. And I said, I want to go out and see some country. Mm -hmm. So I sold my house, packed up my furniture, my family, and we headed to Phoenix, Arizona. And that's where my bucket list began. Did you have any pushback from like your wife or your kids during this time? You know, I think they were a little tired of Nashville also. My children were very young. Okay. And so uh, she agreed to go because she wanted to see some country also. So I understand this isn't a traditional bucket list. You made this list after you did all these things. After I did most of these things, uh, I always had a list of things I did, places I had gone. And I said, well, it's time to make a list and pass it on to my children so they will know uh, uh, what dad has done in his life. And they shared a lot of these things also with me. Mm-hmm. Yep. How did that make the experience different? Because a lot of times we think of it as something where, you know, it's what people do when they're older and they retire, but you Mm -hmm. got to share these monumental experiences Mm -hmm. with your family, Mm -hmm. particularly your young kids. Uh, They needed, I I wanted them to go to a place where they could share with other cultures, uh, other races, uh, languages, and just see some world too. Because a lot of children never leave their hometown. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't want my children to experience that. So you served in the Air Force. Yes. You saw a lot of the world. I sure did. Did that kind of influence your decision? Well, to... most of the world I saw at that time was all a part of just being in the military, mm-hmm. just traveling around. But most of my uh, bucket list is in the United States. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you always been like an inquisitive, active person? Uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, oh yes, ever since I was a child. Okay. Very inquisitive. I want to see how everything worked, how everything uh, uh, went from one phase to the other. Uh, I was a very I was a science uh, student, uh, and I ran. I won two science, first place science awards and a second place science award at Vanderbilt. So uh, I was just a very inquisitive person. Gwen, I want to ask you about that. Have you been naturally inquisitive about life? Oh yeah, that was part of my heritage. My dad always asked questions and met new people and figured out what they were doing. And yeah. So intellectual curiosity mm -hmm. is part of what makes life so exciting. If, yes. you, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about bucket lists. What's on yours? And have you checked anything off it? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Okay, so I'm anxious to hear more about what's on your lists. Gwen, you gave us a few items from your list, but what else is on there? So I've got Visit Tonga mm. and uh, Make a Retreat to Gethsemane Abbey, where Thomas Merton used to live in Kentucky. That should be pretty easy. Just haven't done it. And live in New York City. I mean, I'm a big movie lover, so of course I want to spend some time in New York. So why Tonga? Tonga because the first movie I remember seeing as a little girl was South Pacific. Hmm. And I thought it was set in Tonga, but it actually was filmed in Tahiti. So I've really wanted to go to the wrong place all my life. <laughs> <laughs> Tahiti's definitely on my list. Okay, so if you go to live in New York City, which borough are you living in? You know, I'm not sure. The Bronx really appeals to me because you've got a great view of the city. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, of course, Manhattan would be a dream. Yeah, Manhattan's a lot of fun. Yeah. Wh which one do you really want to get done? Of all the things on my list, probably one I haven't mentioned yet, help people know God better through books and music and teaching and counseling. That's the biggest. And I think I'm doing it and will do it. I like that one because it's you sharing and giving to other people. Sometimes when we think about our bucket lists, it's experiences that you can have alone or maybe share with significant others or close loved ones, but you want to kind of give of yourself for everyone yeah. else. What's, yeah. be what's behind that? Well, I think mostly I've received so much from other people through the years in relationship, in uh, church settings, some good, some ill, um, you know, I can be a good warner for people to avoid certain situations. Um, and also just how, how life has enriched um, my experience through God being involved. Having a spiritual life has made my life so much richer. I just want other people to have that richness in theirs. All right, Joe, you actually brought your physical list today. Yes. What's on it? Oh, I came up with 10 things that I wanted to uh, make sure that I had on my bucket list, and I've accomplished all of those. Mm -hmm. uh, by, I said uh, I moved to Arizona with my family, so that's where it began. Okay, uh, I'm a very uh, a soul that just loves to 
dig in the ditches and, and just see what I can come up with sometime. Okay. So it started in Arizona. Uh, I traveled, um, I've traveled across uh, Route 66. All right, I'm familiar. And, and if anyone wants to see this country from the east to the west, take a trip, take your family, and travel 66, you just would believe what you could see that and experience. Get your kicks on Route 66, 60, as they say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I had opportunity to travel through the Grand Canyon, the small canyon. And when I, uh, I reached Arizona, I always loved uh, uh, westerns, about Colorado and Arizona, about the miners that in the uh, early 17th, 18th that wanted to go and, and, and get rich on gold. Okay. So I said, well, while I'm here, I'm going to go and learn how to pay and go. And it's, it's an exciting thing to go down into the foothills and down to the creeks and spend some time there panning gold. Did you find any oh, gold? Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I had an opportunity to go back into the hills where the old gold miners had let, left old gold, gold uh, trailings. Uh, I, I shouldn't have gone there by myself, but that's, I'm just a wandering soul, you know. Um, also, uh, I had an opportunity to go to the Four Corners. Okay. And the Four Corners uh, in the West is Arizona, Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico. Yes, sir. And at one point, they all touched together. Yeah. And at that very spot, there's a steel plate on that corner. And you could go to all four states just by making one, two, three steps. Yes, I've done that myself Have when, you? I, when oh. I lived in New Mexico. Now, now tell That's me. It's exciting. It's so exciting and it's beautiful as mm -hmm. well. What do you think these experiences that you've had have really taught your children about life mm -hmm. and our desires? Okay. By taking my children with me, I was able to uh, take them to all of the uh, states in that area and uh, give them my opportunity to see what's there. Mm -hmm. And especially the Hoover Dam. That's an exciting place that everybody should want to see. I was able to, I love fishing, to travel up the river, through the Grand Canyon, through the Colorado River, all the way up to the dam. What a sight. Now, sometimes we use the responsibilities of life as an excuse to avoid fulfilling our desires. Gwen, you know, how do you balance pursuing your dreams and still doing all the things we have to to stay afloat? You know, I, I learned early in my life that I needed a lot of creative outlet as well as just income. And so, so I have always made some time in my work life for writing or painting or doing something creative. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I've been able to experience both worlds along the way and not just put it all off for retirement like some folks are tempted to do. So tell me, how are you going about completing your list? 
Well, the truth is I've only satisfied one of my 12 bucket list items. That was um, going back to Cardiff Castle. I had been there before and hadn't been there in many years. And I had a knee replacement. And I said, okay, in rehab, my goal is to walk in Europe again. Hmm. And a couple years later, I got to go with my brother and sister-in-law to England and Wales and returned to Cardiff Castle. And that was just unexpected. So that was very exciting to me. The rest of them, I'm going to just keep on trucking you know, and and focus on them and watch them come to pass, I believe. I think one of the most intimidating things about a bucket list is that, you know, you make this lofty list and then never get around to doing any of it, you know? Mm. So h- how do you grapple with the idea of failure? I mean, do you even see it that way, Gwen? No, I don't. I think it makes a difference in how you live your life, whether you have opened your heart to possibility and dreams and desires. They, they're so motivating. And I think we'll have a much richer life just by dreaming, not to mention having all those dreams fulfilled. I think it just opens us, opens us up to life in its fullness. Joe, how do you see it? Uh, I see it that since I've already completed it, uh, Two other things on here that I just wanted to do as a child. I loved airplanes. I loved flying. I used to build them and fly them. Uh, so um, in the last two years, I had an opportunity to take some flying lessons on a 172, the small aircraft. Okay. And I was able to go up in some training and actually take the wheel and uh, I did some maneuvers. Um <laughs> That's cool. I, I also had an opportunity to uh, take some uh, uh, glider lessons, and I also had a chance to go up and operate that also. Uh, and that was about the last one, and the favorite one of all is a tandem skydive, which was on my last list, last one on my list, uh, here in Nashville. And that is something awesome to do. When did you go on this tandem skydiving it was tour? Two, it was two years ago. I was uh, 78 years old. Okay. And I, it was on my birthday. And uh, what, a, what, a, what a great birthday gift that was. Yes, it, sir. That was, that was my gift. <laughs> That's something else. Okay, so you've you finished your list. Yes. But, you know, come on, you're, you're as you said, you're self-proclaimed, mm-hmm. very curious person. Is there anything else you want to accomplish? Um, one other thing. I have never had opportunity to do this because I've never been in the right place at the right time. But I'm a humanitarian, and I've always wanted to be involved in a humanitarian movement uh, where there was demonstrating for the right things to do to help people. Mm-hmm. And um, if I may, I would like to sum this up. I had a small poem that I wrote for my son. Please. Okay. And the, uh, the subject of this poem was, World, Who Am I? Because that's always been a question. I offered much to family and company. I'm sorry, country. 
I thank God for grace and mercy. I have taught all I have known. I have compensated with blood, sweat, and tears. I have overcome my doubts and fears. I have soared over mountains, and now I'm free. Well, world, who am I? I am me. That is beautiful. Thank you. I'm not a poet, but <laughs> this came into my mind. I just want to sum it up. Joe Murray and Gwen Moore, I want to thank you both for being on the show and sharing your stories. And all I can say is I want to be like the both of you oh, yes. when I grow up. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. We have to take a short break. Now, the term bucket lists really comes from kicking the bucket. When we come back, we'll hear from a few people who have had to grapple with the idea of death at a young age, which ultimately led them both to create bucket lists of their own. And again, what's on your bucket list? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil e. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When we think about bucket lists, we tend to imagine them as something for the latter stages in life, a list of things to do post-retirement. At least that's how the insurance and travel company commercials like to depict it. But what about when you're younger and you have a life-changing experience? My next guests are two people who were thriving in their careers and were on a clear path until something knocked them off their feet and made them reevaluate their lives. Nicholas Calvin and Jeremy Lister, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. So, Nicholas, let's start with you. Tell me about yourself. What was the life plan you had for yourself when you were 18? Well, nice to meet you, Khalil. And um, yeah, I'm a Nashville native. I'm born and raised in Nashville. This is like my home. Went to East Nashville Magnet School. And growing up before my 18th um, birthday, I had the whole um, life of just um, graduating, going to college. I did go to Howard University, um, getting my law degree from there, um, becoming, a, like, becoming a politician. Not only that, um, I was really big into church. So I thought I'd become a pastor, get married, have the kids, the traditional life, start a church in Nashville. And, you know, just go from there, just, um, just spread out and grow. But from there, um, I had something to stop me, which was HIV. So mm. I had to really... Um, Reorganize some things, Khalil. How did that news affect you? Wow. So it actually affected me in October of 2013, which was um, the first semester of my senior year of high school. So grappling with that while also um, a senior, um, really trying to be happy at the same time. I'm about to go to college next year and things of that nature. But really coming back to... Um, I was raised with a good family. Um, I had a lot of great things instilled in me and things of that nature. So... It helped me. It helped. It helped. It helped to push me. Um, I was still living with my mom, so my mom is a great woman, and she really made sure I was okay. She didn't. She never showed her emotions. I'm sure she had a lot of things on the back end, but in front of me, she was always very strong, always supportive, asking what I needed and stuff like that, never condemning me, and that really did help me. But of course, once I got out of the house, things kind of changed a little bit. Now, hold on a second. You're 17 years old. Yes. And yes. you discovered that you're HIV positive. That's not something that a lot of 17-year-olds can really relate to. You had the support of your mother, but how did you feel? You're like, okay, this plan I had for my life has totally been thrown upside down. I'm still a young person, still a kid in many respects. What, what was your thought process? Hmm. I came to a place of looking at an end at some point, 
not knowing um, what tomorrow may hold. Um, you know, everybody has so many aspirations and stuff. Um, but at that point, I really just questioned everything. Mm. Again, I had a lot of people pushing me. I was very involved with my school. I was on the mayor's youth council. Um, I did a lot of work with Planned Parenthood in high school. So I had a lot of people around me who were aware of the disease and um, still kept me at a very private um, place to still support me in a private place. So they still pushed me. But internally, Khalil, I was scared. I um, On the outside, I kept a smile on my face. Um, at school, I still attended school every day. Um, my friends knew nothing, but inside I was scared, yeah. Now, Jeremy, you were a touring musician when you had a kind of a wake-up call. Tell us about this main time in your life. Yeah, I, um, I've always struggled with uh, anxiety and depression and um, uh, found the use of alcohol and other substances as a way to medicate myself. Uh, and then that um, eventually turned into addiction. And uh, I think with my career path, um, it was sort of normalized. So... Um, it got to a place where I just, I, I, it was, um, it was killing me and I knew it was, it was bad, but I just continued to do it because it was my medicine. And, mm -hmm. um, and I was sort of trapped in this picture of like my identity was stuck of like, I have to have this so I can be a touring musician so I can be someone people like. And, um, but then it was, it was putting me in bad situations. I was getting in trouble. I was blacking out. And eventually I got to a place where my liver and internal organs were suffering and I had, I had pre-cirrhosis and uh, eventually I was on tour, a, a big tour. I'd, I'd been on a reality TV show on NBC and we were on a big bus tour and um, I was having panic attacks or in the ER at least once a week. And a doctor finally came to me and was like, from everything I see here, you've, you have about a year to live. So here you have some success. You're on tour, kind of. Like you said, it's norm normalized in that field, you know, alcohol and drug abuse. Um, and then you reach this breaking point. What was what was happening in your mind? It was scary. I, you know, I think I'd, I, I, I knew that my lifestyle was um, dangerous and I knew that, you know, I, I had a potential of dying young. But like when the, the real, reality of that hit me, uh, I was like, well, I've got to do something. I've, I, you know, I, I can either keep doing this or, and, and die very young or in my head at the time, I was like, or I could be a hermit cause I won't be anybody without this. I, my life will be very, very small if I give up these things. But now I've come to see that my life is so much bigger because I gave up those things. Mm -hmm. You're here. You are both with these life changing events and you're young. You're facing the idea of death long before you thought you would have to Nicholas. I'd like to hear what you did next. What was your next step after your diagnosis? I just took action. Um, I just kept. I kept. I kept moving. Um, when I when I was diagnosed, shout out to Nashville Cares um, in South Nashville. When I was diagnosed at Nashville Cares at the age of seventeen, I remember the the lady coming in and she gave me the um, the the test result, and I immediately cried. Um, my mentor she hugged me really tightly, but um, I immediately got back up and I said, "I'm going to be all right." Um, and from there, I went to my grandparents' house because um, that's who I was closest to. My mom, she was at work. Told my grandparents. And at that point, they were in in a uh, in a light but still serious note. They stopped me from crying and had me comforting them. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, my mom being a strong woman, so I kept moving. Um, I still graduated in the top fifteen percent of my class. Still went to Howard. Still graduated with honors. Um, all that and above. And I still soared to the top. Went to Howard my freshman year. Ran for Mister Freshman. And I kind of, in a sense, um, not in a great way, but I kind of, in a sense, started to ignore the HIV. Hmm. Um, I started taking four, well, five pills, excuse me, five pills, um, December 2013. 
And at that point, I had my mom cooking breakfast every day, um, lunch at school, dinner. So I was on that still consistent schedule. So I was not um, out of, I, I had I had something going on, but internally, I was still in the regular function. It wasn't until I went to Howard in my second semester of my freshman year, I kind of started falling off tangent. Um, like I said earlier, I was a part of the Mayor's Youth Council here in Nashville. I interned for Congressman Cooper and other people here in Nashville. And when I went to Howard, I was set on doing stuff in politics. Um, I interned for Congressman Cooper in his D.C. office in the House, and that was amazing. And I was even pledging for um, a, um, a boys' organiza- a men's organization on campus at Howard. And I was doing all that. I was still functioning, but I wasn't taking, on, taking care of the internal Nicholas. And I remember um, one of the producers who called me about this interview, she said one thing. She said— um, she said, what was one of your bucket lists before you were diagnosed with HIV? And I said it was to impact others, to be the examples others wanted to see. But I was not the example for myself at that time. Mm. So how did you take care of Inner Nicholas? Hmm. I took care of Inner Nicholas simply, Khalil, by coming back home. Mm. Um, I, I was at the place where I was in a relationship that wasn't functioning very well. I wasn't doing the best with my studies, um, and my support system was in Nashville. I did have a lot of people in D.C. that um, knew of me, but they really didn't know the Nicholas that needed to be nurtured, the the Nicholas that needed to be protected. And although they wanted me to stay, it was time for me to come home. And and since I've been home, I started working in Nashville Cares, and that was where the nurturing process really started, Khalil. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking about bucket lists. So, Jeremy, when you reach this moment where you thought— Life wasn't going to be what you thought it would be. How did your goals change? Well, I'd I'd already experienced a lot of pretty incredible things that the average person hadn't gone through. And I think it was, I mean, there was effort that was involved in that, but also a lot of luck. Um, But I I thought that my life was essentially over. I thought, okay, I'm uh, not in the sense of dying, but like if I were to sober up, I... I wouldn't have much more of a life. I would have to give up my career. I'd have to give up all these things. Um, and I did at first. I took I took some time away from from my career, and um, and then uh, I, f- I found help. You know, I, I instead of trying to take on everything myself, I started uh, meeting with people that could that could help me. Uh, and then my world really started to open up to where I I realized that you know my identity wasn't just Jeremy the musician or Jeremy the person with uh, a, a substance abuse issues, uh, but the, the world was open for me to redefine myself. And that's when things, um, my love for the outdoors, um, I'd also given up smoking. So I would, uh, every time I wanted a cigarette, I would just sprint down the street. And then, okay. uh, and then eventually that made around the block. And then uh, that just kept going up and up, and and now I'm 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 a I'm a runner. Okay, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that in a second. You know, you've set and accomplished a number of goals for yourself. Here's a little one we have here. Just about mile 44. <sighs> New territory. This is the furthest I've ever been. Woo! Think I'm gonna do it. Okay, so <laughs> you go from running a sprint just down the block <laughs> to covering the block. And then suddenly, mile 44? Come on. <laughs> so at this point, like a 50-mile race isn't even your longest run anymore, I'm sure, huh? No, I, I did my first 100 uh, in October. And then the, this, seminar, se- this September, I'm running from Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon, which will be another 100-miler. Okay, I know people who don't even want to drive 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you ran 100 miles. So this is how it ended up on your bucket list. Tell me, like, as you, you've made this 
this total life change, this philosophical change, what happens to you when you're out there on the road running? It's, it's a celebration. It's, uh, I knew I was, I was that close to death. Now I want to see what I'm capable of. And I know that I'm, I'm capable of overcoming a lot of pain. Uh, and on the other side of that pain is a remarkable sense of self and a spiritual connection. And it's a celebration. So I run to celebrate that I'm alive. Okay, so we have one of our listeners, Danielle, left us a message about the Grand Canyon and this the experience. Here it is. I've heard other people say similar about the Grand Canyon. It's it's so majestic and beautiful and just otherworldly that you just you have to see it and you have to be there to even know the feeling of being there. It's like, it reminds you that there's a bigger something, right? It's whether that be God, the universe, you know, there's something, right? They created such beauty. So I hear you're on a mission to see all 63 national parks. Yes. Have you, how many have you seen so far? I just hit my... Third, 29th, actually, uh, in Arizona a few weeks ago. I went to Petrified Forest National Park. So I'm, I'm approaching the halfway mark. But I, yeah, so when I was detoxing, uh, which was very, very scary, um, I uh, had my laptop and I watched Ken Burns, the National Parks, America's <laughs> Greatest Idea. Uh, and I mean, I was a mess. I was like in a fetal position, dry eating, and thought I was going to die for three days. But I would turn over and see these beautiful, majestic parks and these serene trees and uh, epic vistas. And I was like, okay, if I live through this, I'm I'm going to see this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. And uh, every year since then, I've, I'm, I have a few that I hit. And uh, I got to one two or three weeks ago, and I'll be back at the Grand Canyon here in, in a couple months as well. Anything else planned for this year besides the Grand Canyon? I'm really hoping to make it out to Glacier. That's that's the next big one on my list. So, Nicholas, do you have an actual bucket list? Hmm. So, my bucket list, I would say, still consists of impacting others. I have like, I have like a little quote that says, aspire to inspire. So, when mm-hmm. I aspire to do good things, that inspires others. So, I'm still taking care of myself. But it kind of comes back around um, to Jeremy. Like, I love to travel. So my, my grandfather my grandfather and my mother, they both, like, kind of instilled that in me. My mom, whenever she would go on a trip, she would take us, too. And then my grandfather, he's traveled, like, the world, um, the pyramids and things like that. So I've always wanted to travel. It's funny you was talking about the national parks. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix thing with Obama, how he's doing the national parks. Um, it's on Netflix. I don't want to talk about giving any wrong words but anyway yeah <laughs> check it out it's um, but yeah the president he's um he goes around he goes to the, the different national parks and talk about them and last night i learned about patagonia and i'm like yeah. i definitely want to go there next and like see and south america yeah, yeah 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 and how um how amazing that is but yeah traveling and just um yeah just enjoying life um every time i breathe every time i wake up in the morning like i'm really just you know just happy because i'm still here like um one thing that i have um realized a lot of people have not had my circumstance. A lot of people have not had my outcome with HIV and or AIDS. A lot of, um, with my skin color, with my demographic as being a gay male. So I'm really just like taking the lease on life and really enjoying like what the Creator, what God is instilled within me. So whether it's traveling, whether it's um, putting on events through my organization, things of that nature, it's all about living out that bucket list by inspiring others and stuff, and just making that impact. What lesson do you want to pass on to anybody listening? 
sometimes you need to take the path less traveled. Um, in high school, one of my favorite poem was by Robert Frost. Um, the two, uh, I don't want to say the wrong title, ah, but it's about the path, the road less traveled. And um, I never really understood that. I was taught that in a leadership class, but I never understood that until I actually went on the road that was less traveled. And one thing he does say is the road that he traveled that was less made all the difference. And that has made all the difference in my life with HIV. And a lot of times people ask me, if you could go back, would you change um, your diagnosis or anything like that? And I would say, um, honestly, no, because... The life that I believe that I had planned out for me, the life that I believe I had prepared for me is far less significant than what I'm tr truly living out right now. Jeremy, 30 seconds, same question. Oh, uh, I want to I wanna tour with a band across the country. I want to do the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest. But uh, most importantly, I want to help other people see that there's a brighter side to living, that if you're struggling with... Uh, mental health issues, with addiction, there are people that can help you, and life is much better without them. Very inspiring words by two inspiring humans. I want to really thank you both for coming on to the show. That was Nicholas Calvin and Jeremy Lister. Thank you again both for joining us today. It's really been an honor and a pleasure to be with you both. Thank you. Thank you. So now, as you know, a bucket list is a list all the things that you want to do before you die. Kicking the bucket, that's where the term comes from. Our producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley, simply could not let us end today without thinking about and honoring that passage. From life to death. Hills of Calvary is one of our many local cemeteries. This one, northwest of downtown. It also happens to be the home of our indigent burials. Burials Metro Social Services provides for people who weren't claimed, per se or who didn't have enough money to be cremated or buried. People like Aaron Smith. Tasha takes it from here. Since Aaron Smith is considered abandoned, the city pays for his casket and burial. There's no one here to see him off, except for the men who crank his casket into the ground and a few volunteers like Reverend Jay Voorhees. Mr. Smith, Aaron Smith, and again, we know nothing. We know that he was abandoned, which means that he was not, he had no family or no one claim his body. No one needs to die alone. No one needs to be alone at their funeral. That belief is why Reverend Jay is here today. He's part of a new program called Call the Name. It's a small group that shows up at Hills of Calvary anytime someone is at risk of being buried without being acknowledged, even infants. There's not much notice before the burials happen, sometimes less than a day. Burials are usually scheduled on a 15-minute basis, every 15 minutes. And so we do one, they'll go ahead and fill the grave, and then we'll move to the next one. But when they do happen, there can be as many as eight in one morning, Jay says. Today it's four. Well, friends, if we want to go ahead and get started. Kendra, would you be willing to do the introduction part, and then Janet's going to say a prayer, and I'll, clo I'll close this out for Aaron Smith. We gather today to remember the life of Aaron Smith, our neighbor and resident of our city. We come today to call out his name, remembering him on behalf of all who knew and loved him. This body we commit to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to all who mourn the loss of Aaron Smith, we wish for them comfort and peace. And may God's perpetual life be found in this place. May Aaron's name never be forgotten. Amen. Kendra and Reverend Jay pay their respects to another man this morning, Marty Holloway who does have friends here from his community at the village at Glencliff. They knew him, lived with him, and Cecily Eiler, she helps send him off with prayers and poetry. Consider the lilies behind the supermarket, thrown in the dumpster, 
And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And yet, the system has discarded them. Will it not also throw you away? But your heavenly Father provides for you, O ye of little faith, and lets you find beauty in the dumpster. And it just feels like something Marty would have loved to share with me, because he found beauty everywhere, and we loved him for it. Do you know if anything was on his bucket list that he got to accomplish, or something that he wanted to and he didn't get to? All the So, one of our friends of the village, his name is Nelson, um, bought tickets for the Dolphins game. And that was one thing that he really wanted to do. And it was so cold and wet and rainy, and his immune system wasn't, you know, where we wanted to be. And um, he still wanted to go. um, And it kept pouring down, so he didn't get to. Um, But I know that the main thing uh, that he wanted for himself um, was housing. And so I'm so glad that he lived and left um, the village with dignity and and a roof over his head. The last voice you heard was Zoe Caldwell from the village at Glencliff. We're happy to hear that Marty got to check something off his bucket list, housing. I know it's one thing that a lot of us who have it take for granted. Thanks to everyone who tuned in this hour. Join us tomorrow for an hour on our sister station, WNXP's Artist of the Month, The New Respects. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Limley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Mac Huffington, Susan Sizemore, Tammy Roth, Melvin Fowler, and Jennifer Wilkins. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville, find us on Facebook and Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.